0: Hey everybody. welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April. And as always, I'm looking for my good friend Seth Robinson, Seth.
1: Hey, how are you doing?
0: Uh sitting in the dark, buddy? <laughs> the clocks go back're gonna get you, huh Goodness. the one, yeah, I mean, it's bad for everybody, but if you're the northeast of the country, we're so far east that, It's like, it's dark. What's it's three, four, it's 440 something here in the afternoon. And it's pretty much, yeah, almost, almost nighttime. Um, so it's gonna. It, this is the week of adjustment. If I ever adjust to this, it's kind of a pain. I wish we just did away with daylight savings, but that's save that for another volley. We can. Talk I mean, the that. days are gonna get short one way or another. Um, yeah. But yeah, I,
1: I mean, I think this is when it's nice to not be commuting because this this is when you you start to like you're you're leaving and it's just barely getting light, and then you come home from work and it's dark already. And it's
0: like bedtime. Yeah. Right. That's that's. that's, the that's so
1: it's, yeah, it's nice that. to be working from home and be able to go see the sun for the three minutes that it's popping out in the middle of the day. <laughs>
0: That's true. That's very true. But we'll all adjust so I won't be too grumpy about it. But yes, I'm sitting here kind of in the dark. But um, uh, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm, I'm good. good. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm kind of always in the dark in this room. So I just turn my lights on and, and I'm good to go. But yeah. Uh, we've got a guest today. Uh, we're going to talk through a topic that we have been discussing at Comptia for a while, uh, and we we've done some new research on this, and our guest has spoken on it, and he is probably not dealing with any darkness at all. We've got uh, Dr. James Stanger, Comptia's Chief Technology Evangelist, joining us from Hawaii, where he's speaking at a conference there. So, uh, you know, James hope that everything is great with you you know Carolyn and I aren't envious at all that you're Yay, know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: you know I normally I live in Seattle so I know what you mean about getting dark early? Right. Uh, But it's, uh, you know, uh, it's so bright in Hawaii, I I need shades. It's it's amazing uh, uh, the amount of light there. But uh, and, you know, and it's kind of been a theme lately. I was just in Australia talking about some of the things that we're going to talk about today uh, and the Philippines. So it's kind of uh, been tropical lately.
0: So maybe the sun way. is following you or you're following the sun. One of the two. I, Maybe right. it's maybe it's the latter, but I
2: but yeah, I seriously uh I, I carry around some Comptia shades. I should have put them on for the show here because uh I thought maybe I was gonna uh, uh lose my mind. There was so much sun yesterday.
0: You know? oh, so I'm sorry oh. to say that, Carolyn. No, we're not jealous, not at all. Yeah. No, <laughs> no,
2: yeah.
1: no. Well, uh- Well, we're glad to see you. And we wanted to talk today about strategic IT, which, like I said, is something that we have brought up on the podcast from time to time. Uh, And you have been talking about this quite a bit. And you, you work with people, you meet with people, and you hear different things. And so you've got a lot of input from the field on the way that companies are trying to make this big shift. And maybe we can just kind of start off with defining what this uh, new direction is for a lot of companies. Because I think that IT for a long time was a very tactical activity. I think a lot of companies viewed it as a cost center. yeah, And it was mainly supporting business activities, right? So it, it was critical. It definitely played a role in automating and speeding things up uh, and, and providing a lot of efficiency and productivity, but it was largely viewed as a support role. And I think now companies are seeing it as something that's going to be a differentiator for them. So I guess let's just mm-hmm. start with that overall mindset that I think has been kind of uh, forming over the past few years. And talk a little bit about like what you see in terms of companies wanting their technology to be more strategic.
2: Well, I think that's the key. Is is what a strategy mean? I think traditionally, you basically have IT being used as an uh, as I think you've kind of alluded to as an as you as you need sort of basis. You know what I mean, Seth? And so, if we're talking that we're moving towards, or hopefully some are moving towards, strategic IT, it was basically the opposite of that, of course, tactical IT. And and the idea being that a business unit. Or somebody at the C-suite makes a decision independent of IT, and then it's like, well, then we'll throw it over the fence to see how they can implement it. Right? That would be, I would say, the tactical kind of approach, uh, silo-based types of things. Would you agree with that type of definition, Seth, or would you go somewhere else with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that tracks with what we, you know, would have seen, you know, from the beginning of enterprise technology. <laughs> You know, all the way really up through I don't know maybe the you know mid two thousands or early twenty tens, and mm-hmm. I mean Carolyn, the the entire IT channel was kind of built up around that structure of being tactical and kind of providing needs and providing the plumbing, right?
0: Yeah, providing the plumbing, the infrastructure, um, the devices that was sort of the the genesis of the channel, and then to take that to extend that a little bit, and it would still be in the tactical uh, definition. Mm-hmm. Would, you know be the role of IT is sort of putting out fires when there are problems so you know the way that you just described st- strategy James would be you know uh, you know uh, our tactical would be the c-suite coming up with an idea tossing it over the fence and having implementation be that tactical move the other side of tactics I think are when a problem arises then is when you call huh. IT but IT wasn't involved otherwise until you made the phone call to the help desk and they had to get involved in something they put the fire out and then they go back to their corner
2: and, and so kind of the and, cleanup the cleanup yeah. model of IT and things. And it and so in some of this, I, I like the timeline idea, uh, Seth and Carolyn that you're talking about that, you know, that kind of was this and and now we're moving to something more strategic. I would say Rather than a timeline, I think there are just organizations at various levels, various gradations of moving from tactical to strategic. I think there are a lot of organizations that that haven't quite gotten that. But the idea is that you involve IT at the beginning of the strategic right. discussion of what the organization is doing. That way, you don't have this back and forth, like great idea. How are we going to implement that? It's now something that you you know you combine uh, together, and that the IT department, instead of being in the server room where they belong or the basement or whatever, is now in in the uh, boardroom where they belong or with the C-level folks making those kinds of decisions. That's that's yeah. the aspirational goal, right? Yeah, I was going to say,
0: because historically that type of collaboration does not come naturally, has no. not been a natural relationship. Yeah. Um, so uh, one would think as we, as we evolve to more of a strategic way of thinking about IT, that relationship aspect of it has really got to be worked on almost first and foremost.
2: It's interesting you bring that up. I was talking to somebody, uh, he works for Google. And uh, he, he before it worked for Target, it worked with Mandian, And he said, I've been extremely lucky in my career that I really have a great relationship with the C-level people I work with, that mm-hmm. there's an interpersonal relationship and everything. And, and I pushed him on that. I've talked with uh, various CIOs, CISOs about that. It really does, Carolyn, you said it really comes down to that ability to communicate. And the relationship there that kind of allows organizations to kind of make that turn, as it were, from the tactical to the strategic.
1: Yeah, I would agree with what both of you are saying here. I mean, I think James, from uh describing the the overall landscape here, you know, there there are definitely going to be a spectrum of companies, and there are probably going to be you know some companies maybe on the larger side that will have said, you know, we we've been strategic for a long time now, and and we've been trying to have this model, and that may be true. When we talk about the timeline, we're kind of talking about a tipping point, you know, the, where the, the yeah, yeah. mass of companies kind of saw the light on this one and, and really wanted to make technology strategic. And so it became more of the norm rather than the exception. Uh, and and Carolyn, like you're saying, I, I believe one of the hallmarks of this shift into strategic IT is the nature of the relationship between the technology team and the business units where It it might have used to be that supporting function, and IT in many ways still has to play that supporting role. But now, in a lot of cases, they are working alongside business units, and both groups are driving organizational objectives. And and I think that it's that side-by-side nature that starts to introduce some challenges, right? And so, James, I think you've identified two different ones, you know, shadow IT, I think, is one mm-hmm. that people are familiar with, where the business units get enough technical savvy to maybe think that they can do their own thing. And then you've got this term cowboy IT, which means that the IT team is getting so much pressure to drive these objectives that they have to start taking shortcuts and they're doing things that they might not feel are best practices. Maybe they don't even know that they're not following best practices because so many of these things are developing. But I think there are these two things that are emerging as businesses try to move towards this new model where there's meant to be a lot more collaboration. I think so. I think, I look,
2: I love cowboy movies and, and I that, that idea, but I'm using cowboy IT kind of as a bad thing, the idea of kind of shooting from the hip, lack of processes, because it really comes down, communication and process maturity are definitely uh, combined. But I think you have issues, for example, technical debt. Increasingly, it is pretty easy to get out there and create some sort of solution. I'm not saying a great one, but, it's, you know, think of it this way. 20 years ago, if you were, if the three of us were tasked to create a web server, right, what would we have to put in place, folks? We'd have to find a room to stick all that stuff in. We'd have to get the physical equipment. I won't go on, but you know what I'm trying to say? Nowadays, to get a sophisticated series of web servers going, what, a Visa card or a bank account, uh, you know, somebody to pay for it, right? And an afternoon, you can start spinning stuff up very quickly this allows shadow IT to become a real uh, picture. It's also the concepts such as technical debt. That's kind of a programming concept, but it's something that's very real for IT folks or businesses in general. I was once talking to a, a, a CISO, uh, he's, uh, uh, Mike Garrity, the state of New Jersey. Um, he's a the CISO there. He said, you know, there's always a little bit of magic in what IT folks do. We have to get things done and when you get things done you kind of skip steps i think all of us have done this in our careers right and the idea in a good company in a more mature company that has a strategic approach you iterate your way out of those skips you step uh, steps you skipped you know what i'm trying to say but if if you don't iterate your way out of that and, and iterating is much more difficult than people will think all right if you don't iterate your way out of it you incur a technical debt and we all know what happens if you don't pay your debt back on your house or your car, you lose your house or your car. Got the idea, right? Um, but what we find is whether it be supply chain attacks or what we find, uh, you know, ransomware attacks is basically a form of payback, bad payback that organizations that incur technical debt and then don't iterate their way out of it, that debt comes back to them in the form of some form of attack or a customer experience problem, one or the other. There, Those are two things that have come up in a recent survey uh, that we've done, right, Seth? Uh, uh, basically asking about 500 CIOs, CISOs, what some of the major problems are in the lack of process maturity. And these these issues have come up, technical debt, uh, mm-hmm. cruft, you can call it cruft, you can call it what you want. Um, the idea of, uh, of of shadow IT, all of these elements involve a lack of communication. And they are, are kind of hallmarks of our modern time right now. And the best organizations are doing what they can to, to mitigate their way out of that or iterate their way out of it.
0: You know, when I think of technical debt, I think about the uh, Southwest Airlines, you know, yeah. not, not, you know, not updating their scheduling system for their uh, pilots and everybody else for so many years, going to get to it, going to get to it, Band-Aid approach, whatever it happened to be. And then it, we all know what happened with, with yeah. uh, their flight debacle. But I, I think it, yeah. uh, that's one of those business course um, examples that it for MBA uh, people um, is the, the Southwest Airlines example. Yeah, it's
2: more common than we realize. And, yeah. and it's something that happens like, I'm drawing an analogy here, like scope creep. Nobody says, I'm going to do scope creep today. Nobody says, right. I'm going to put the organization at risk today. But through small decisions, like we don't have the time to do that. There's no money to do that. We have, we could go back and iterate our way out of those problems, right? Like with Southwest, but there's no time. I'm, I'm constantly moving forward. And, and these are cultural, you know, issues. And, and I'm, a, I'm a root cause kind of person in my own way. Um, uh, instead of addressing things, you know, symptoms with cheap tri- ways, to, uh, and they're never cheap, but but easy solutions or or like what the cybersecurity industry will tend to do, like, hey, we have all these controls and all this thing, these cool things, and I love tech, that we can put in place. Let's get to some of the root causes, the lack of strategic approach, the lack of communication, addressing some of these endemic you know very common things it's a way that i think we can create a much more rationalized less toxic i.t environment
1: so before we start talking about some of the solutions, James, I'm just wondering on these yeah. two issues, do you think that companies are at different levels of awareness right now? Because like I said, I feel like we've been talking about shadow IT for a while, okay. and that was probably something that was a little bit more apparent to companies that, okay, we've got you know a business unit has procured this technology, and now it's not integrating very well. I think that would have been kind of obvious, whereas right. I think the cowboy IT and the technical debt are probably a little bit more subtle and they tend to accumulate over time until you get a Southwest Airlines, right? So exactly would right. you say that companies maybe are starting to wrap their arms around shadow IT, but they're still kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to technical debt? I would agree with that, absolutely.
2: Because usually I stole that term technical debt, by the way, from the programming industry and I'm, I'm using it uh, in a more general sense, but I still think it's very applicable. And I think it's we are see organizations that are kind of, in a sense, in denial about it, uh, about the process. And I think that's something that holds, holds tends to hold the IT profession back or holds organizations back. So, yeah, I would say it's something that's largely not aware. Uh, in the survey that we did, people will, would bring certain things up, but then they, the importance of it, people would say, yeah, we do, we do think it's a real consideration. And I think it should be, rather than a real consideration, it should be burying the needle in terms of, yeah, that's a real problem for us.
1: Yeah. So as we start to dive into solutions, then I think there are maybe three different places where companies could focus. And we've already mentioned the first one a couple of times. I think it starts with better communication and really putting into practice some of those communication behaviors and, and learning that it's going to be a two way street. Right. I mean, I think that from the business side, they have to kind of be aware of what enterprise technology looks like beyond the the feature set right i think with consumer technology having gotten so good people are kind of accustomed to thinking okay here's an app that we can build or here's a thing that we can do here's a a chat bot that we can start to employ they don't necessarily recognize the cost of those things or some of the trade-offs so i think there's definitely some technical acumen that needs to build on the business side but then there's business acumen that needs to build on the technical (laughs) side they can't just talk in you know speeds and feeds anymore They have to be making it relevant to the business and making sure that they're making that connection, whether it's a more traditional ROI type of calculation or whether it's some other kind of newer metric that would equate whatever kind of technology investment is being made into business success and and growth. Nicely put. Yeah, I, there is a tremendous amount of bias that you find in
2: IT folks towards the technical, and in business towards the business. That's what you would expect. But what happens? What needs to happen is people need to come each other's way and negotiate uh, uh, that communication. I think that's that's one of the critical lessons that we we found from our survey. Um, and some of those skills do involve things from as tactical you could argue as project management, but also as strategic as the idea of being able to translate. And we all know this, right? Translate business requirements in terms to technical, and back and forth. And there needs to be more of a tolerance. And that's the word I'm going to use. There, there are people out there in levels of leadership and in technical who don't have a tolerance for each other's approach. And, and that's a serious problem. That's that's uh, yeah. I think a, a holdover from tactical IT. You could argue it's also uh, just part of the reality of you know having to implement things, but. We have to increase our tolerance as technicians to understand the business side of things. Uh, and we have leaders that absolutely, instead of saying, Well, I'm not a technical person, I leave that to somebody else. That's not an answer anymore. That is not, you know, that's used to be, I think, uh, in some organizations at least, a kind of a shorthand for, Hey, aren't I wonderful and with my executive sense of brio right i think it's uh that's something that's i think more of a dangerous approach nowadays uh we see this in boardrooms we see this at the c level that seemingly innocuous technical decisions could result in serious problems involving lack of a loss of value in the company to lawsuits etc
0: Yeah. Large businesses in general tend to be very territorial with where, you know, wherever they happen to live. You know, the sales department's territorial. The marketing team is territorial. Technical, same thing. Um, what, What comes to mind for me, though, is so it's really important that we kind of break down these silos. People stop being territorial. People start to at least try to speak one another's language as best they can. And that there's a common goal that everyone's, you know, working toward um so that we don't see these bad outcomes like a potential cybersecurity attack because the business team was you know not thinking or they thought they knew too much a little bit of knowledge right. a little bit of knowledge is dangerous right so the business people think they understand technology um but they really don't and vice versa goes for the tech team not really understanding business so in terms of solutions though you know who it sounds like we're looking for a new type of employee or a new type of thinker or a new type of persons within an organization that can kind of harness the needs that we have here and get everybody on the same page. Um, So curious your thoughts on that. Is that something you're seeing? I mean, you're seeing companies sort of look for a new type of individual or team that would help to create an environment that would um, bring this kind of collaboration together.
2: People will use the term T-shaped individual these days, right? I think that's, uh, you could argue that's a bit of a, a cliche, but the idea of somebody that has good broad knowledge of the business and then a deep uh, a particular skill. So there's the T-shape, there's that. Um, I think that we have people uh, who are experiencing the practical, uh, who are experienced in the practical use of technology. One thing that people will default to, and I'm I, mean, I, I would expose that as a myth, is that, well, if we bring in digital natives, they'll be able to understand this better because they grew up with technology. I mean, how many times have you two heard that? Yeah right I, I i'm sorry i don't i don't quite agree with that uh, yes we need people who are not averse to using tech and and who are co- comfortable with it but we need people who can delve into what tech really means and know how and why it works there are a lot of digital natives out there that are great at consuming tech i'm not sure how great they are at creating tech solutions and listening very carefully and identifying where where problems are around the corner in other words like okay i see where we want to go with this let's make sure we anticipate what the problems are and so we need people who are anticipatory in their thinking not paranoid but anticipatory in their thinking and that means you need people who really need to understand the technical uh how should i put it the technical foundations of what's going on but we also need people who who know what it means uh, to what to understand the business foundations of things. So I think that T-shaped approach is a very good way to look at it. But I think we need to make sure that that the type of person we're looking for is a bit different than the one that tends to get churned out from a typical education approach, right? Carolyn, is that kind of where you're going with that?
0: Yeah. No. I, I, I think so. I think I agree yeah. with you there. Um, and it kind of speaks to Seth, you and I. You know, we've we've spoken a lot. A lot of your work is um, in this area about skills-based um yeah. skills based hiring and skills based you know uh, recruitment of people and um i thought you know maybe that is applicable here is that instead of like looking for credentials so much in terms of you know four year college or whatever we're looking at people that that have particular skills, whether those are deep technical skills that you're looking for, you know, at the data level, at the cybersecurity level, the AI level, mm-hmm. or whether that is some sort of comp- compilation of those types of skills with really good soft skills, durable skills, whatever you want to call them, that allow you to have that business sense as well. And we need- I know that's something that we've been focusing on quite a bit here come well, to
2: You're right. We need people. Uh, there's a, a friend of mine. We were talking about the idea of indicators of compromise, you know, attackers. Right. I'm a big believer in that hiring managers are looking for people who have indicators of experience or indicators of achievement. And, and to your point, Carolyn, going beyond the typical pedigree based, Oh, uh, she came from a university or whatever, therefore, you know, has the right pedigree. It's like, no, no, no. We need people who can demonstrate in one way or the other in a tangible way that there are vetted skills that, that this person have, that they have. And I think that's just really critical. Uh, to get past kind of that uh, pedigree-based approach and more along the lines of some sort of achievement, and I think that's uh, moving forward. That's what organizations they don't. I don't know if they, how much they realize it, but that's really what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, skills is definitely the second leg on the solution stool here, and I mean, I think you both made a lot of great points. You know, including you know a, a T-shaped model is going to have different types of skills, you know, technical skills and durable skills and and whatever. Um, But it's also about building the team, Carolyn, like you said, that not every individual needs to be this unicorn or fit this model or whatever. You're just not going to be able to find that. And so while you're looking for individuals with lots of different skills, you have to recognize that each person coming in is probably going to bring some subset of that. And the job as a company or a hiring manager is to assemble that team properly. And it really does get down to that skills level and understanding what everything that you need on a team, which pieces you already have, which pieces you need more of, and then assembling that. And a lot of times you might not know exactly what you're getting when you bring someone in. And so there has to be some internal assessment and training and things like that. So it's a really complicated piece and one that I think we'll be talking about quite a bit, you know, over the next few months. The last leg of the stool then, I think, you know, along with learning communications and then building up skills is governance and putting policies in place and understanding what best practices are. And I think in Some of the more well-established areas of technology like infrastructure or software development, you've got things like ITIL or DevOps or whatever that I think can kind of set some framework and some guidelines for this. But I think as there's new emerging technology and as digital transformation is combining so many of these pieces, there continues to be more of a need for governance that extends far beyond the traditional highly regulated industries or the biggest companies that have a lot of moving parts. I think that even in the SMB space, there's just going to be more and more demand for at a a minimum, you know, kind of internally putting together some guidelines. uh, And probably that will mean using some kind of external framework to to guide the efforts there. Uh, You know, so, James, is that kind of what you're seeing out in the world there? Very much so. For example, I was fairly recent this summer.
2: I was in Spain uh, working with folks about the NIS-2. Uh, NIS too. That's a, a, throughout Europe. That has basically a compliance framework. We all know or have heard of GDPR. But in the United States, for example, there's the SEC requirement, right, that you have to prove that there's been up, uh, appropriate upskilling for the leaders of IT, the leaders of cybersecurity, as well as workers, uh, you're seeing uh, all sorts of things. I have CMMC 2.0, for example. There's changes in the U.S. government with the 8140 program. I've reeled off a bunch of these you know, kind of standards, as it were, that that people need to be compliance to. And to your point about highly regulated organizations, you know, the, the NIST CSF. You know, there's a lot of compliance uh, uh, out there, and it's increasing. Uh, whether it be uh, inside the US, outside the US, wherever. And it's interesting, I I think that part of this compliance is not checkbox based. The best of it, right? The most mature approaches to compliance have to do with increasing communication. I was recently talking to a lady, her name is Elizabeth Byerly. And Elizabeth, she used to be a, a school teacher uh, up and, and then she took some training in less than eight months. Uh, uh, through through compliance training, things like that. But she basically became a compliance officer, and she had an interesting observation. She said, "Working with a group of C-level folks is really no different than working with a group of second graders." That's what <laughs> she said, "She said it all had to do with figuring out common areas where they all, you know, where people can work together and a mission, and then basically determining where we are now and where we have to go." Uh, in the future. And, and that wasn't just, well, we'll check this and okay, we've done that to cover our butts or whatever. It's more, okay, here's where we need to go strategically. And, they, and what she finds is that the best organizations are the ones that realize through that level of communication, they've actually kind of transformed their organization. I'm, I'm a big fan of transformational type of thinking you know, as educators, that's that's what I am. And that's what's very important. And it's really neat when you see not only the individuals transform their career, but organizations transform their processes so that they can handle and bring in really smart people because they've cleared the way, they've cleared the ground, let's say through compliance to actually make some transformational changes. It's it's really neat to see when that happens. It doesn't happen all the time, but increasingly there's an incentive. To your point, uh, Carolyn and, and, and Seth, uh, uh, of organizations, uh, there are requirements out there, and you can t- treat them as mere checkboxes, or you can treat them as real opportunities to transform.
0: Yeah, and just one last point I'd make on that, as we talked, you threw a lot of acronyms out there and a lot of, oh, you know, major compliances, that, you know, regulations and everything, that, and those that mainly apply to public companies, large companies, those that have sort of compliance re- uh, requirements, but, these, these ideas around process, though, boil all the way down into small business as well. And so I don't want anyone listening here to be daunted, like, well, that doesn't apply to us. Because so many of our members at CompTIA are small companies and they serve small companies. And really, you can just take all, everything that we just said about these, you know, these large scale uh, requirements and compliance issues, and you can boil them down to processes that you come up with yourself that work for your business that will then enable you to be able to integrate IT as a strategic part of your company, Make sure all your users and your and your employees are all on board in the same way, and that type of co- communication and collaboration is going on. Um, you can codify you can codify your own process within your business, um, and it works just as well if it was something custom that you made for your small company that works within your industry as something that the biggest companies out there are using. So, just wanted to put a point on that. One. That's a great point. I was
2: talking to a a recently in Belgium, a person who uh, runs an MSP in in Belgium and another one who runs an MSP smaller, You know, these are smaller businesses, another one in Australia. And specifically they were talking about, you know, look, there are certain things that we don't are not held to as a smaller company, but they use those as, as very important guidelines. Yeah. Uh, and they, they they've realized, uh, you know, learned from organizations that haven't transformed. You know, we mentioned a couple of them or at least didn't at the time. And they've they've really focused on kind of if not complying to that standard. You know, completely what they do is they follow it very carefully, nevertheless, because they know that they'll be asked uh, and that they know that from their behavior that organizations may not want to partner with them larger organizations if they don't have the right behaviors.
1: Well, it's clearly a a pretty big topic. I think it's driving a lot of business decisions right now uh, and and technology investment. And, you know, Carolyn, I think you're absolutely right that as big as this may be and as important it is for companies to, to tackle it. They can do it one step at a time. I don't think there's any, you know, need to feel like you have to become compliant to every single regulation out there or begin adopting every best practice. I think you just start where you are and figure out how you start making improvements. So. Um, you know, we're going to continue talking about this for, you know, quite some time now. You know, James, I'm sure you'll be hitting the road with this message. So, you, bet. you know, if people out there ever see James, you know, pull him over, say hi, and I'm sure he'll snap a, a selfie with you. So, James, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. Take care, Carolyn. Take care, Seth. Thank you so much, folks. Yeah. And thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew McMillan. And Carolyn, I will see you next time on Volley.